the atmosphere can change you. What, what's the atmosphere that we're in? You don't have to answer out loud because the energy in the room when you're standing or sitting six feet apart from other people behind a mask is somewhat just naturally depleted. So it doesn't have to be interactive. So let's just use the situation that we're given and the surroundings that we're in. In your isolation, sitting away from the person that is close to you, what is the atmosphere that we're in? Uh, politically, what is the atmosphere that we are in? In the United States, what is the atmosphere that we are in? Downtown Minneapolis, what's the atmosphere? What is the atmosphere on the news? What's the atmosphere on someone's social media? What's the atmosphere of your heart? I mean, those are all questions about atmosphere. I think that there are probably some words that come to mind. Fear. Um, politically divided. We're in an atmosphere of isolation. An atmosphere of searching for true truth. We're an atmosphere of, let's say, racial divide. And in some cases, racial unity. I mean, we could flip the script on every one of these positives and negatives, these polarities, and we would find an atmosphere, and then we would find another completely different atmosphere somewhere else. But the atmosphere can change you. Now, when I see the atmosphere going right now, where everyone is in an atmosphere that would be counterintuitive to the atmosphere of the kingdom of God, I just wish everyone would go out for ice cream. I wish we could get all the bad guys uh, who think they're bad guys and all the good guys or good girls or bad people and good people and them and them and us versus them and get all of those sides of the political, let's just say, regime or the idea that some people think I'm a racist white bigot because I'm a 42-year-old man with a minivan. I wish I could just go out for ice cream with those people. I wish we could get like countries in the Middle East, um, not just to sign a, a, a peace treaty with one another. I wish we could actually go out for ice cream together. That solved a lot of problems in my life. In fact, when I'm disciplining my kids, when I am actually going to have to reprimand them for something they do, uh, I take them to Dairy Queen. And my kids almost buy like second instinct now, especially my 11-year-old, when I say, hey, Xavier, let's go get an ice cream cone. He knows. He knows he's in trouble. We're going to have to discuss something. I just wish we could go out for ice cream. Does anybody else have that utopic sort of like when you see the riots on TV uh, blocks from here and the burnings are building, don't you wish you could gather everybody up in a circle and just go, hey, let's get some haagen and let's chat this through. Ben and Jerry's, that's fine too, Jeff. <laughs> Truth is, is I never really paid a whole lot of attention to Ben and Jerry's ice cream until I met uh, Jeff. And then after being at his house um, and seeing his doomsday preparation, let's say, supply of Ben and Jerry's, I went and got my own supply of 30 flavors. The atmosphere can change you. What's in ice cream? What is actually in ice cream? You don't have to know. I'll just tell you. What's in ice cream is a heavy cream. 
Okay, and so what you would do is if you were going to make ice cream, you would have heavy cream. Now, if you don't know the difference between ice cream and custard, custard would actually be, at this moment, you'd have to actually add an egg or some sort of um, egg product, usually egg yolks. That's the difference between custard and ice cream. And the difference between ice cream and gelato is gelato is an Italian word for expensive. So <laughs> you would put cream and you would put sugar. You would put... Um, Pure vanilla extract. This is not organic. I would never cook with anything but free-range, farm-to-table, sugar-free, U.S.-grown, vegan, gluten-free vanilla. This is Kirkland. I can't believe I'm making ice cream with this. But it'll balance it out once you put a few little cookie wafers in here. So if you wanted to make a flavor, you would take, you know, like, let's say Oreos um, or Butterfinger or praline pecans or whatever. And you'd put it in a vessel, generally in a big steel drum. Now, what do you do with that ice cream? Have you ever made homemade ice cream? Have you ever seen the process of how ice cream's made? These are the ingredients, sugar, vanilla, custard, uh, like in the form of eggs or just straight whipping cream and some sort of, you know, candy or chocolate that you add to make it a flavor. You would take this and you would put it inside of rock salt, actually surrounded by this uh, stuff called rock salt and ice. And then you keep this mixture moving and the chemical reaction between the salt and the ice actually super freezes the ice cream itself while it's moving, removing air, replacing it with ice crystals, and then you get ice cream. Who doesn't like ice cream? Now, what would you do, what would happen, rather, if you took that ice cream or this ingredients for ice cream and you left it on the front porch of your dorm or on the windowsill or you left it out in the middle of the park or you left it in the sun and you came back to that same ingredients what would you have you'd have a rotten mess atmosphere can change you so do not let the atmosphere that is anti-christ anti-kingdom change what's in the inside of you. God has already placed the ingredients within you. Do not allow yourself to be changed from the inside out. The atmosphere can change you. Now, does that mean that we don't engage in the atmosphere where it's toxic? No, but that means you better bring a mask. You better bring a mask. You better have your own oxygen tanks. You better have been drinking from a different well. You better have surrounded yourself in an atmosphere that is Christ-like and that is pro-kingdom before you enter into an atmosphere that's anti-Christ and anti-kingdom. Because what will happen is the same ingredients that are within you, they'll be changed. And the atmosphere can change you. You can change the atmosphere. I believe that God calls us salt and light because light overcomes darkness. Salt, honestly, makes things taste better. It heals disease. It also, you know, sustains life. These are all agents of change. 
these metaphors Jesus calls us, because you can change the atmosphere. Spirit embodies form. If you think about this from this perspective, if you have a person who goes to work in a cubicle at a company and they do that job, you can have another person who works in a cubicle right next door at the same company and does the same job. And one person thinks it's the best job that they've ever had in their life. They are so thankful, so blessed, and they give themselves over to their craft. The other person can think this is the worst job in their entire life, and they can't wait to move on, to get out, to find something different. It's because spirit embodies form. The person that walks into the cubicle can change the atmosphere. Now, that is a metaphor, but you can definitely find in different stories throughout Scripture, but one that comes to mind that's no more vivid than Paul and Silas in prison. About midnight, Paul and Silas, reading out of the book of Acts, chapter 16, verse 25, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. They were in a prison singing praise and hymns to God. And suddenly there was a great earthquake. The foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. You can change the atmosphere. And your choice not to praise in this pandemic is your choice to become a prisoner of it. The choice not to praise during this pandemic is the choice you are making to be a prisoner of it. Praise is going to be a passport from your prison. It'll be a passport from our isolation. You can change the atmosphere. You can change it. If I had to venture to guess, and with people in this room that are far smarter than I, their degrees and the letters and the research, I couldn't even begin to hold a candle to what they can contain. I'm just dumb enough to believe that the Bible is true and God has given me the ability to put it in metaphor. That's really the only skill I have. But the truth is, is this. I can take a guess. So can you. So can the people who are smarter than us. What what is the atmosphere of the world? What is the atmosphere of our government? What is the atmosphere of this city? What is the atmosphere going to want to try and do in you? What's the goal? What's the agenda? When you're breathing in hate, what is is the agenda of that atmosphere to make you shallow and reactionary? I believe that the atmosphere, when you encounter it, in a negative way, an anti-Christ way, an anti-kingdom way, its goal is to make you shallow and reactive. Not thoughtful and deep. I believe that if we had to really think about this and just make a guess, when you walk out into any toxic atmosphere that you find in our world right now, it's got one goal, and it's to, to make you shallow. It's to keep you from being deep. It's to make you reactive, not proactive. That's the agenda. So what can you do? This is a hard question. What, what, can, what can you do 
when it comes to the antithesis of an atmosphere that wants to make you shallow and reactive. Well, you can go deeper and commit it to thought. I love um, a verse in Isaiah 37, 31. Now, if you don't have, if you've never read this story, you need to read this entire chapter. I've been going through this with President Hagen virtually here and at the end of the day, 37:31, the surviving remnant of the house of Judah shall again take root downward and bear fruit upward. So if you read the whole context of the story, at the end of the day, I, I do believe that there will always be a remnant and there will always be followers of Christ. In this season, we must grow deeper and grow downward so we can grow upward. There is um, an old man that had these kids constantly playing in his yard. He loved his yard. It was a perfect yard, like hedged, trimmed, beautiful, lush grass. It looked like a golf course. And these kids in the neighborhood would want to play. Who wouldn't want to play baseball in a yard like that or kickball in a yard like that? Level, no potholes, beautiful grass, always lush. Almost looks like if it was fake, like AstroTurf. So these kids just kept trashing this old guy's yard. The old man got so frustrated. They will not stay out of my yard. He yelled at them, tried to get them to leave, tried to rope it off. They just would skip the ropes. They kept playing in his yard. So he decided that he was going to pay them to play in the yard. So he paid him a quarter. First week, all the kids came back. And they played in the yard. And he, at the end of the week, he gathered up all the kids. And he paid them out all a quarter. He said, thanks for playing in my yard. His yard looked like... It was trash. And he said, you can come back next week, but I'm on a fixed income. I really can't afford to pay you a quarter anymore. I can only pay you a dime. The kids came back that week. They played twice as hard. They want to make up for the difference. His yard got even worse. At the end of the week, the old man rallied up all the kids and he said, all right, pay you all out. Thanks for playing. Good news is you can play here. Bad news is I can't afford to give you a dime anymore. I have to pay you a nickel. That week, the kids came. End of the week, he paid them all out a nickel. At the end of the line, once he paid everybody out their nickel for playing that week, he just looked at all the kids and he said, I'm going to be really honest with you. We started at a quarter and then it was a diamond and it was a nickel. I, I, I just can't pay you to play in my yard anymore. And the kids looked at the old man and they said, what are we supposed to do? Come here and play for free? And the old guy got his yard back. And that's exactly what the enemy is doing within the American church. This idea that our gifts have to be monetized will keep the church from going deeper. Now, you might not all be pastors or preachers, and that's fine, but you all, all are ministers, and you all should be plugged into a local body. And we will keep the church from being a voice, growing deeper and growing upward and bearing fruit is monetizing everything at every turn. The enemy has done that to, to me 
throughout my ministry, I've caught myself asking what the honorarium is, not what the honor is. I have friends that no longer go to a church because they got a church that paid them more to play guitar at that church. Oh, oh no, Eric, you're just being a little hard. 1 Timothy 5.18 says a worker is worth his wages. Yeah, that's to assume that your gift is to be monetized into a talent and then paid because gifts equal blessing. Work equals curse. And I believe that if the church is going to survive and bear fruit upward as we go deeper, we need a generation of students and leaders and church goers that go and sow their gifts with open arms, not waiting for the check to come back to them. You hear what I'm saying? The enemy has taken his yard back because it's a pay-to-serve. It's stewardship. I want you to think about that for a second. Because church budgets, ministry budgets, university budgets, they're slashed. They're crashed. Incomes are drastically affected. Even if everybody in the church actually did and they gave 100% as the new covenant teaches, And that's a whole different sermon on tithing. It's 100%. Okay? But the point is, is even if we did that, there would still be a shortage. So if you want to be able to navigate this atmosphere that's trying to pull you to be reactionary and shallow, and you want to be deeper and thoughtful... You can change the atmosphere, and the atmosphere can change you. But I am telling you, if there is one thing where the rubber meets the road, if I can just simply say it out loud, we have to sow our gifts into the body of Christ rather than trying to monetize every gift into a talent that the body of Christ pays for. That is key for budgets and buildings and lights and numbers and dollars, but fruit and impact in souls and outreach. Don't let the enemy take the yard. Sow your gifts. Sow your gifts. What we do with our talents matters. But when you find a body of believers gathered together, to pursue Christ in the word and worship. That's called the church. Sow your gifts there. Sow your gifts there. I didn't say talents because a gift is monetized and it becomes a talent. And Jesus talks about what we do with our talents and it matters. But a talent is something you're paid to do. And when you're paid to do it, it falls under the category of work and it's the very thing in the garden that was cursed. So you have to sow your gifts. That's what your pastors need. That's what the church needs. That's what Minneapolis needs. That's what your community needs. That's what the world needs. That's what the atmosphere needs is a bunch of Christ followers that are sowing their gifts because the atmosphere can change you and you can change the atmosphere. God, I just ask that as these students are here, whether they're listening 
away from this place, whether there's a pastor or a leader. God, I pray that they would be reminded that the atmosphere can change them and they would surround themselves daily in the right atmosphere to continue to bring about the right result with the ingredients that you've already placed in them. I pray, God, that the atmosphere that surrounds all of us, that we can be a thermostat, not a thermometer, that we can be someone who changes that atmosphere. We carry that spirit that you've given us on salvation to that place. That our praise would be a passport out of that prison and our choice to not do so would be to be imprisoned by this pandemic. I pray, God, that when the atmosphere shows up in people's lives that are causing them to be reactive keyboard warriors or shallow Christian thinkers, God, that they would be that remnant and that would, they would go deeper. That they would go deeper daily in their studies, that they would take their history class just as serious as their chapel time, mind and soul. God, I pray for the places in the American church where the enemy has taken the yard because somewhere along the line with great intentions of excellence with maybe even great intentions of support God we've subjected our budgets and our surplus to just continue to sow into talents and us as consumers just continuing to reap those payments. God, I pray that you would continue to convict me in a generation. That it would not be about a paycheck when they play. It would not be about a honorarium when they speak. It would not be about a position that has monetary gain But God, you would rise up a generation of students at North Central, of people that attend churches in the Minneapolis area, of Christians all over the world that would be willing to sacrificially give, not to reap bountifully. In a monetary perspective, God, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would go and help pastors navigate this because They're trying to figure it out. I pray that you'd help church leaders navigate this. I pray for the musicians that have got to navigate this and all the positions that the way that we have somehow got to do church, God, that that we, we would just continue to refocus in a time where we need to go deeper and remove the barriers of service because we sow our gifts. And when we give what we have, you multiply it. We keep what we have. It's the most it's ever going to be. God, help us to change the atmosphere. Help the atmosphere of your presence to change us. Help us to go deeper, downward, and grow upward and equip the church with our gifts freely given not our talents expecting pay in Jesus name Amen